There's a scene in Shakespeare's Macbeth in which the character approaches the three witches, asking them to tell me my future. He implores, if you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me. There are so many ways to spend our finite time and resources, but which seeds are most likely to ripen and which more likely to wither? Should I quit my job and go back to school? Should I pursue this relationship or take that opportunity or invest in this stock? As we've seen with the election results the past few days slowly emerging, Predicting the future is a tricky business, and someone who, some people who get paid for it should lose their jobs and go back to school. Uh, but one of the best uh, guides I've found for trying to do this tricky business of, protecting, of predicting the future is Dr. Jane McGonigal. Anybody know her? Anybody read one of her, some of her previous books? All right, I see a few hands out there. She has one of the most interesting job titles I've ever heard of. She is the Director of Games Research and Development at the Institute for the Future, which is a nonprofit in Palo Alto, California. Her team develops simulations to try to predict what's coming and to adapt to solve future global problems. And she's really quite good at her job. She was named one of the top 35 innovators changing the world through technology by the MIT uh, Technology Review. And Fast Company named her one of the top 100 creative people in business, period. Uh, she's written a number of books, but one accessible place to start is her most recent book. It's titled Imaginable, How to See the Future Coming and Feel Ready for Anything, Even Things That Seem Impossible Today. And that title, Imaginable, is a play on the word unimaginable. Because there have been a lot of, have you seen a lot of headlines in recent years? Unimaginable, unthinkable, unpredictable, right? Uh, well, McGonagall has been attracting an increasing amount of attention because these simulations that she started running a decade ago or more have been uncannily accurate in predicting real headlines about what really did happen in recent years in response to the pandemic, social media-fueled conspiracy theories, wildfires in the West, and more. It turns out that many world events that are often labeled unthinkable before they happen are actually quite imaginable in advance if we learn some of the practices that are core to the field of futurism. It's also significant that many of the people involved in her simulations report that when these imagined events actually did happen, they found themselves better prepared psychologically than many people around them. Imagining a difficult future, it sort of helps inoculate you against the worst aspects and most traumatizing aspects of what's sometimes called future shock. Uh, it's similar to what psychologists call pre-exposure therapy. Events may still be hard to deal with, but instead of being completely overwhelming, it feels more like, well, I've seen this before, and I feel like a little more equipped to deal with it. So I invite us to spend a few minutes exploring some highlights from McGonagall's work to help make the unimaginable more imaginable today and easier for us to deal with if it comes. One of McGonagall's core practices is trying to imagine what will the world be like a decade from now. You know, it's 
fairly easy to imagine waking up tomorrow morning, right? What's tomorrow going to be? Unless you're like starting a new job or moving across the country. But when you start to get like a decade out, that's, that's tricky. She calls it taking a 10-year trip. So what do you think? What will the world be like in 2032? As many of you have heard me quote before in our recent celebration of my 10th anniversary as your minister, we often overestimate what we humans can get done in a year, but we often underestimate what we humans can get done in a decade. And one way we can begin to open our minds for what might be the case a decade from now is to start in the opposite direction. What was your life like a decade before now? What was your life like in 2012? What are two or three, if you just kind of think back over the last decade, or what was your life like in 2012, what are two or three of the biggest changes that have happened since then that can give you an idea of the magnitude of changes that may be coming in 2032? As you consider the biggest changes in your own life over the past decade, I can share that, you know, for me, it feels really particularly poignant to think back a decade. Prior to March of 2012, the possibility of me becoming a Unitarian Universalist minister, it was really not on my radar. A little more than a decade later, I feel pretty solidly established in the UU world. A lot can happen in a decade. This congregation, right, has doubled in size. We've grown from 177 members to more than 360 members today, right? A lot. Deb, the choir has grown a lot over a decade, right? Like, so a lot can happen in a decade. As we'll explore further in a few minutes, a decade is enough time for fledgling trends to develop and become more mainstream. In the words of one science fiction writer, often the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. Right? So, but you can kind of see what's, uh, what's going to come and be more evenly distributed. One of McGonagall's tricks for learning more about emerging trends is to pick an area. What are you interested in the future of? Maybe it's pets. You know, maybe it's climate change. You know, what, what's your jam? What are you interested in the future of? Music, film, whatever. And then Google that topic and just add a word like advances or that topic and opportunities or forecast or um, predictions, or strange, or you know, whatever, words like that. Suddenly you'll find a whole world of possibilities opening up of what may be forthcoming in the next decade or more. Let's look at two specific examples. Let's talk about drones, and let's talk about facial recognition software. I don't want to, Marguerite kind of mentioned the, the negative military side of drones. I, that, that's not what I have in mind. Hopefully dr military drones will not be widespread in the next decade under civilian control. But let's talk about drones. One of McGonagall's... Um, this, so drones are those mini remote-controlled aircraft you may have seen flying around various places. How many of you either own a drone or know someone close to you who owns a drone? Okay, that's a lot of hands, right? Like, uh, and that's, uh, we can extrapolate from the growing popularity and affordability of drones that they may have some interesting impacts on the future. Here's one possible prediction. Widespread drone deliveries may be coming soon to our future. For better and for worse, like with a lot of things, right? Drone deliveries could help prevent theft because they could just deliver right to your backyard. Or they could deliver to a second-story balcony or other locations that are safer than your front porch. On the flip side, we need to consider drone flight paths, right? We want to prevent a future in which the sky is filled constantly with a sea of drones, right? We don't want that. For better or worse, it may be really wild, all the things that we have delivered to us by drone in the near future. <laughs> As a second example, how many of you have a phone that unlocks with facial recognition technology? 
All right, I do too. Uh, for a while, I, I didn't, I, I don't tend to adopt the latest. And when people were sort of really getting this, I was like, we need to be a little scared of this too, right? It's like really cool, but it's also a little scary. If we imagine our 10-year trip in the future, how else might this cool facial recognition software be used? A future is quite imaginable in which the, that facial recognition feature that many of us have grown quite accustomed to using on ourselves might be reversed and allow us to face search other people and for us to be face searched in return. You can already do this in a limited way on Google right now. So next time you go to Google, or you can do it right now if you want, look at that Google home screen and do you see that little uh, camera that's on the far right so of the search window? There's a microphone that you can speak into and then there's a little camera. If you click on that camera button on the right hand side of the search field, this is the, what you'll see. And you can now upload a photo that you took or that you find anywhere on the internet and you can search for other places that that photo appears. It's easier now with an exact match, but it'll increasingly be easier with something similar. Uh, and so what we're going to have soon is a face search feature that enables you to subtly wave your phone in front of basically anyone in the world, any stranger, getting a significant amount of information on them, uh, about them, social media, you know, and from other public databases. It's easy to imagine a future in which you might overhear people accosting one another. Dude, did you just face search me? <laughs> you know, in like a, like a really non-appreciative way. Uh, kind of, this is creepy, right? Here's the thing. Companies such as Facebook and also Clearview AI um, already have billions of facially identified photos already in their databases. Because uh, all of this free software, y'all know about social media, right? If you're not paying for it, you're the product, right? You all know that, right? If you're not paying for it, you're the product. Uh, so these companies already have billions of facially identified photos in their uh, databases, and the accuracy rates for facial recognition range from 90% on the low end to 99.98% on the high end. With the pandemic, very good software has already been developed and tested that is 99.9% .9 accurate for mask wearers. All they need is like your eyes, your forehead, and like they got you. Uh, using just the eyes and forehead. Imagining the future can embolden us to call for government regulations on this, that we can actually protect our privacy, but we have to advocate for ourselves and limit who has access to facial recognition databases. Let me give you a few more quick examples using a game that McGonagall invented and plays with her students called Stump the Futurist. Stump the Futurist, to play, you start with an everyday piece of conventional wisdom and that most people assume will always be the same. And your challenge is to say, how might this actually change, even though people think it will never change? When McGonagall has played this game with her students over the years, one of the most common assertions that she always gets is that it will always take a man and a woman to make a baby. It turns out that stopped being true in 2016. Hence the headline, some of you may have seen, world's first baby born with new three-parent technique. To avoid passing along genetic diseases, fertility specialists in England have been able to combine genetic material from two women and one man to make one baby. And this has been replicated in the world since. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Four years ago in 2018, some of you may have seen this headline in National Geographic. Same-sex mouse parents give birth via gene editing. No male mouse was involved, and the offspring of those two female mouses, ha mice have since had healthy babies themselves. I mean, 
it's pretty amazing, even if, like, odd, right? And scientists speculate that within a decade, human same-sex couples may be able to take an embryo using stem cells and gene editing with no opposite same-sex material required. The future is coming, y'all. Get ready, right? Y'all know about CRISPR. We've talked about that in future sermons, right? And with CRISPR, we're talking about not even just gene editing, but genome editing, right? So, uh, now that we're well over two years into this pandemic, I think most of us are aware that, you know, there's growing clarity that we are not going back to some pre-pandemic normal on a whole variety of levels, a whole confluence. Here at UUCF, for example, we don't want to be an in-person-only congregation in the age of Zoom, right? Like, just that ship has sailed. And it may be that at some point we go back to having two in-person Sunday services, but here's the thing. We have two Sunday services. It's just one of them's online, right? That there's as many of you watching online right now, typically, as are in this sanctuary right now, right? We have a lot of people attending online. It's a whole new world. There are also many parallel examples in the world of business that show us that the future is here. Nobody wants to be blockbuster in the age of Netflix, right? Nobody wants to be Tower Records in the age of Spotify. Nobody wants to be Kodak in the age of Instagram. But all of those country, co companies that I just named were huge, these giant corporations, right, that just got subverted. And that's just the beginning of what could be a much longer list of how paradigms can radically change. Our invitation, our challenge is to remain agile, to grow, to flex, to adapt, while remaining committed to our core mission. Our mission doesn't change. It is still to encourage spiritual growth, to build a diverse, beloved community, and to act for peace and justice. We're just adding this digital element to it. Our methods change, but our mission stays the same. Or if our methods don't change, we're just going to become obsolete. So what's coming next that can give us hope in the face of change? Here is Dr. McGonigal's current best guess of 10 future forces that could make a better world in the next decade. We can make a similar list of a bad world, but we're, we're going to stick with some. Last, last week was more bad news. Let's stick with more good news this week. Uh, the first is that those same uh, mRNA vaccines that in incredible speed, right, that in 18 months gave us the uh, coronavirus vaccine so much faster than people thought, that has the, these same, that same technology has the potential to prevent or cure cancers, malaria, tuberculosis, HIV, and other diseases. There are, of course, no guarantees, but I find it exciting that scientists are trying to see what is possible beyond, you know, with these new technologies to really make our our world and our lives better. Really life-changing possibilities. The second is super inexpensive solar and wind energy. This already, you know, vastly plummeted um, faster than people thought. And green energy is currently on track to be cheaper than fossil fuels everywhere on the planet. That's truly a game changer that would significantly decrease air pollution and the carbon emissions causing climate change. Also, the possibility of uh, prioritizing social safety nets. Younger generations are increasingly in favor of prioritizing that triple bottom line, that they don't want our only priority to be money alone, right? The alleged bottom line of money alone. We need a triple bottom line that, takes, that balances out the concerns of people and planet and profit. Profit is still there, but we need to take care of people and planet as well. Number four is bioprinting technologies. Uh, 
3D printers may be capable of producing human organs out of bio, um, biocompatible plastics within a decade. We're already seeing some of this in animals. Again, I think that's incredibly crazy and, and cool. Again, all of this is possible potentially within a decade. Uh, and would really help with organ transplants. The fifth is living concrete. Formed from bacteria, gelatin, and sand, living concrete absorbs carbon dioxide and releases oxygen. So what if we're building stuff with living concrete? It also self-regenerates. You cut one brick in half, it heals and forms two bricks. Those two can be cut in half to create four, and so on. Widespread use of living concrete could be transformative for the future of the construction, the global construction industry. Number six, direct cash transfers. We got a preview of this with pandemic stimulus checks. It turns out the government can just send us money. <laughs> Cats out of the bag, people. It turns out that universal basic income may be more viable than many people had previously considered. Again, to create a stable floor for all, to let people live dignified lives. Number seven is cultured meat. I don't know if this grosses y'all out or not. Like, the Petri dish is kind of gross, right, when you see it in the Petri dish. But if you imagine it without that Petri dish, I don't know, looks like meat. You're not going to be able to tell the difference between meat grown in the laboratory and meat grown, as it were, inside an animal. Meat grown in a laboratory is on a course to be more commonly sold worldwide than meat grown inside animals. It's much better for the environment. It significantly decreases cruelty to animals and can be a sustainable global protein source. Uh, number eight is increasing social connections, and we saw this in particular with the pandemic, that we saw people, um, you know, very, very lonely. And so you have um, doctors already in the UK and Japan have been doing a lot of this, and you're starting to see other countries adapt it, uh, in which doctors are prescribing things like cooking classes and walking clubs and art groups to get people connected to one another and not just isolated alone in their homes, as well as government-funded communal living opportunities that are you know, affordable and that allow people to live together instead of being isolated. Number nine is free or low-cost learning for a lifetime. Uh, again, we've gotten kind of a preview of this with the movement to cancel student debt so that people, uh, and we've just increasingly, you're seeing people convinced that the same uh, conviction that led people to say we need to fund kindergarten through high school graduation, that we need to extend that for free community college or through vocational training, as well as making high quality, uh, widespread access to online education um, for everyone for a lifetime. Uh, and number 10 is anti-aging biotech. And so new technologies have already been uh, have already been tested on animals that have reversed the effects of aging in animal lab experiments and have the potential to start lengthening healthy, active human lifespan by decades. Amen. I know, I know. Let's do it, right? What are we waiting on? As we've explored in previous weeks, we could also make a list of forthcoming major threats. And I readily conceive that we always have to account for the law of unintended consequences, right? That's always going to be a factor. Sometimes things go sideways and unexpectedly. But I don't want us to miss that there's some genuinely positive trends that may be emerging in the very near future. Perhaps the most important takeaway from the field of future studies is to free your mind 
about what might be possible. The way things are is neither the way they have always been nor the way they always have to be. Uh, Someone had to imagine the way that our society is structured right now, and we can imagine a different way, a better way in the future that helps all of us. Our Unitarian Universalists, we call ourselves a living tradition, right? We're particularly open as a movement to um, being open to future possibilities. Indeed, in 1961, or I guess it was 1960, when the Unitarians and the Universalists voted to merge together in 1961, the hymn they sang together as they were proceeding to celebrate that included this line. Their hymn proclaimed, a freedom that reveres the past but trust the dawning future more, right? We're not throwing the past out, but a freedom that reveres the past, but trusts the dawning future more. So as we try to peer through a glass darkly, as we seek to discern what the future may bring, let us also be honest on many levels, we human beings are at best in our adolescence as a species, with all of the promise and all of the peril that our teenage years bring. But there is hope that we'll continue to grow up and to live into our potential as a human species. Along those lines, I'll give the last words to Dr. McGonigal. She writes, the future is a place where anything or a hundred things or everything can be different, even things that seem impossible today. In that spirit, let's rise and body your spirit. Find your teal hymnals. Let's sing together 1017. We're building a new way.